There's a wonderful quote that says, philosophy is another word for homesickness. And meditation is sometimes described as a way of coming home, as a response to a quality of homesickness within ourselves. Practice is sometimes described as an intuitive response to a kind of ancient echo or sense of possibility, the possibility of living, having a life that is permeated with wisdom and compassion. It's a response to an inner longing to find a way of being with ourselves and in our lives that is free of division and fear and alienation, a response to a longing to find a way to really feel at home in our own minds, at home in our bodies, at home in our feelings. And a way to be at home in this troubled world with receptivity and openness and fearlessness Home, in a sense, clearly is not a geographical address. But it describes a dimension of being that is really born of wisdom and of quite an extraordinary freedom. In that home, we discover that inner refuge home. It's a place of enduring acceptance and love and understanding. The place where we can let go. Home often has that sense for us where we can let go of pretense and self-consciousness and, or the need to prove ourselves, a place of ease. In our practice in meditation, I think we learn over and over again the simple and yet not easy skills of returning home. We learn to let go of our preoccupations with the past and future. We learn to be with what is present. We learn to disentangle ourselves from the whole array of images and beliefs and assumptions and conclusions that we can carry about other people, about the world, about ourselves. We learn to disentangle in this moment from the mind storms of anxiety and doubt, the storms of judgment and craving. And as we learn this art of simplicity, this art of being present, we simultaneously learn the art of allowing all things to be as they are, without adding or subtracting anything. The first lesson we learn in this journey of coming home to ourselves is this ongoing invitation and this outstanding invitation at times to understand really what it means to be at peace with all things, to be open, to be clear, to be spacious, to see what is true. It's an art and a skill We learn not just once, but again and again. And we discover, actually, it is possible 
we discover as we begin to calm, our world also begins to calm. As we begin to settle, as we settle, we begin to see more clearly and much more of life, both inwardly and outwardly, becomes visible to us. Learning to let go really liberates the world from the force of our craving and demand and expectation. And in liberating the world from those inner momentums, what we really do is we allow the world, we allow all things, we allow our own bodies and minds to speak with their own truth. Perhaps it gets clearer to us that the more that we can kind of stop telling our story about the world, about ourselves, about other people. There's just a little bit more room to listen to the story that this moment is really asking us to attend to. Now, the second step in this homecoming is also to step out of the habit of flight, the habit of abandonment, Sometimes we run so often from things and so fast in our life, it just really never occurs to us that it might be a good idea to stop. It might be a good idea to stand still. We cultivate the custom of befriending in the places where we're most accustomed to fleeing. And they are all those moments when we're accustomed to jump into the next moment, to flee from the challenging, the difficult, the boring, the unpleasant. As we go through our lives searching for this idealized, romanticized, perfect moment that is somehow going to provide us with safety, with pleasure, with certainty, Because we start to know that each time we step into that abandonment routine, we are essentially making ourselves homeless. We are disconnecting from what is. We are casting ourselves adrift. So again and again, we learn to be still. We learn to stay connected. And we begin to sense and know that those moments that we're most tempted to flee are really the moments that are the open doorways to finding what generosity is, what acceptance is, what forgiveness is, what compassion is. Now, in different traditions, there's a variety of symbols and stories that have been used to represent this journey of homecoming. And this evening I'd like to focus on one one portrayal of those symbols, which are really the very profound pictures and poems that in in the Zen tradition are called the ox-herding pictures. And they are the pictures that sort of portray the different seasons of a spiritual life, the different seasons of a meditative journey. And in this series of pictures and poems, the spiritual journey, the meditative journey of 
homecoming is described as the, the search for that which is true and authentic. And really, it's a journey in these pictures of searching for the elusive ox that roams wild in the forest. And the ox is a metaphor for liberation. The ox is a representation of that which is authentic and true and free. Now, the first of these pictures is interesting because it shows a person standing. Their body is pointed in one direction, and yet they're looking over their shoulders, looking behind them. It's kind of like having a foot in two worlds. And it's a picture of confusion. Uh, It portrays a sense of being lost, of being homeless, of a feeling that something is missing incomplete and not knowing where to go and not even knowing the source of that unease or that sense of incompletion. And in this picture, the herdsman or the herdswoman is facing this maze of crisscrossing paths. And this maze of crisscrossing paths represents the many journeys we make in our lives to feel that sense of incompleteness, to try to be happy. A journey we've made so many times. It's almost like our life is a record of this search for happiness, for connectedness, for intimacy, for freedom. The commentary in this first picture is... The ox has never really gone astray, so why search for it? Having turned her back on her true nature, she cannot see it. Lost in confusion, he has lost sight of the ox and finds himself confronted by a maze of crisscrossing paths. Now we grow up, all of us, in a world of almost endless promises and endless prescriptions about how to be happy, how to be fulfilled, what kind of identities we should seek for, how to be safe, what we should become, how and who we should be, what is acceptable. And it's often confusing. It's like that maze of crisscrossing paths. You know, should we go for success and wealth and prestige, or would it be better to devote our life to humility and self-sacrifice and simplicity? You know, should we try to become a millionaire or would it be better to be an ascetic? You know, there's a path of ambition and striving or there's a renunciate model. Should we forge relationships, get married, have children? Or should we seek solitude? Should we learn to be alone? Should we be a hero, a martyr, dedicate ourselves to service, or should we try and take care of ourselves a lot better? There are so many possibilities. You know, we see this on subtler levels within ourselves, how often we have a foot in two worlds, that we would really love to find that sense of authenticity, and yet we feel perhaps this call, you know, to become someone special, you know, here's a spiritual path saying, you know, 
we had these T-shirts, you know, at the celebration that said, 30 years and finally a nobody. And <laughs> but then we have all these messages, become somebody. And then, of course, we, we come into the Dharma world, into the spiritual world, and you'd think you'd be nice to hear one singular message, wouldn't it? Instead, this maze of confusing and crisscrossing paths continues, you know, Should we try to be enlightened, you know, and transcend this world? Or would it be better, you know, to be a kind person? Should we follow the path of devotion or service or insight? Should we be a Mahayana or a Theravadan? You know, we don't know. It's like the menu's too big sometimes. The menu's too big, and we find so often in our life the dukkha of too many choices, You know, the suffering of too many choices. Remember when my son was young and he wanted to paint his bedroom, and I said, you know, okay, you come choose the paint. When we got to the store, he says, I can't believe it. Why don't they just make four colors? You know, it's like the dukkha of too many choices. Portrayed in this first picture is not only a sense of confusion, but actually also a sense of desperation and frustration. Because so many times we discover the wholeness and the happiness and the freedom we've sought for really hasn't been answered by the countless journeys we've made. We've wanted and reached and tried to attain so many things in our lives, and yet sometimes somebody described it as going to the refrigerator with a heart of expectation only to find it's empty. It's a picture of estrangement, of not being at home in the world, not being at home in ourselves. Now in the second picture, something has changed because the herdswoman, the herdsman, has changed their head around. They're facing in front of them. And they're beginning to pick up the traces of the ox. It portrays a point in our lives, a point in our journeys, where we start to feel like we begin to wake up from numbness. We begin to find a sense of direction. Our feet and our heart and our heads are beginning to come together. And we're starting just perhaps just to taste a sense of collectedness, of focus. And the tracks, the traces of the ox start to become visible to us. And the commentary says, under the trees by the water, the ox's traces run here and there. Has the herder found the way through the high-scented grass? However far the ox may now run, even up the far mountains, He cannot hide himself any longer. It's that point where we begin to find our way. It can come in so many different forms in our life, so many different guises, this point of waking up. Sometimes we've loved deeply and been rejected. Sometimes our hearts have been set in an achievement and we've failed and we've felt the taste of disappointment. Sometimes we've succeeded and yet found the success a little hollow. Something we've counted on betrays us. Someone we love dies 
But sometimes sorrow is the beginning of waking up and sometimes also joy. We can have unexpected encounters in nature, alone, in intimacy. With stillness, we're surprised. Our hearts open in moments we don't expect. Our minds calm. We have a glimpse sometimes at such, of suchness. And it is like not just our hearts, but also like life wakes up in those moments. Sometimes we listen to a teaching or we read the, a line of poetry and it returns us to ourselves in a way that we really deeply begin to question. What is it that we really honor? What is it that we really value? What is it that we really want to place at the heart of our life? What is it that we're really dedicated to? Those moments of waking up are the moments when a sense of direction begins to emerge, sometimes a very powerful turning points in our life. So we start to know roughly the direction we want to go in, but in truth the tracks can still be very faint. We can have a vague or even intuitive knowing of where we would really like to land in this life. And yet somehow that destination, that which we really value and aspire to, can still feel so, so distant and so separate and so apart from where we actually are. As if what we really love and aspire to lies in some different dimension or place or time. It's not the reality of the moment. The third of the pictures is called Finding the Ox. And the commentary says, if she will listen intently to everyday sounds, she will come to realization and in that instant see the source. It's a picture that describes a different season of the journey. Where we're moving, our understanding is really beginning to find some root in our life. In this moment that we're in, we're starting to find and really taste a little more calmness, a little more clarity, a little more understanding. And it's that point in our path where we're moving from an intellectual or even just a a sense of possibility, more to direct experience and understanding. And it's a place where faith and confidence in our path and in ourselves is really beginning to emerge. Discovering, starting to discover the ox, what is true. And we see that in that calming, in that understanding, many of our perceptions, many of our beliefs, many of our ways of seeing really begin to change and we notice it. You know, you might go outside and stub your toe on a rock, you know, and previously you might have then found yourself shouting at the rock, you know, or blaming the world, you know, who put that rock there, you know, or, you know, whose fault of it. Uh, you might go in the dining room and, you know, spill some soup on your neighbor's foot, you know, and in the past you would have gone into a, 
you know, a kind of storm of humiliation and self-blame and projection, it starts to calm down. We start to say, toe, toe, pain, pain. We start to say, spill, spill. The drama is beginning to kind of disappear. We're taking a little bit of the self out of those moments, a little bit more in touch with the events that rise and pass, a a little bit less of this extra layer of blame and judgment and rage. We're starting to see things as they actually are. And you know that's so restful. It's really where real sense of ease begins, to see things as they actually are. Something else changes. Instead of that habit of fleeing when we're faced with the uncomfortable or the disturbing or the unpleasant, we're starting to let go of avoidance. We're starting to let go of control. We're starting to let go of preference. And we're starting to find a place of balance within this moment. We're beginning to discover really what it means to be aware. And in that deeply understanding that the ox is not discovered, not doesn't live in some other perfect, ideal moment. But the ox is truly going to be found in every moment, every voice, every event, every movement of our world inwardly and outwardly. In this settling, beginning to discover the ox, our relationship with all things is beginning to change. We're moving from a place of reactivity to a place of responsiveness, a place, moving from a place of clinging to a place of learning to let go, moving from a place of demanding that the world should be a certain way to a place of learning to listen how things are. But these moments still just sometimes are coming in glimpses. Mm-hmm. They don't see, seem sustained And the second part of that quote is, the nightingale warbles on a twig, the sun shines on the willows. There stands the ox. Where could it hide? Now the fourth picture is called catching the ox. And in this, the herder has got a rope around the ox's neck and is desperately trying to hold on to it. It is called gentling the ox, or trying to gentle the ox. And the commentary says, With great effort, the herdsman succeeded in catching the ox, but stubborn, willful, and strong. The ox is not easily gentled. At times, she, she breaks out and climbs up to the high plains or rushes down into the foggy marshlands to hide himself there. And we know those places. (laughs) It it has taken a lot of effort to take these first steps to catch the ox. And then we try to hold on to it. You know, there's been countless obstacles we've been asked to meet. Restlessness, dullness, reactivity the difficult states of mind, the doubts that have swayed us. 
And, the, and through them, we're finally beginning to feel just a little bit more in touch with connectedness and clarity, a little bit more confident in ourselves. But it's also a, a season in our practice when things can feel pretty fragile. You know, when our sense of balance can feel pretty fragile. We kind of know what is true, and we start to know what is possible. Oh, but we just continue to lose it. You know, we just continue to lose it. We have that moment of calm followed by chaos. We say, well, where is it? Where did it go? You know, we have that moment of generosity followed by this tight mind. And we tell ourselves, we lost it. You know, we blew it. Where is it gone? Different mental states, because there's more open, different mental states, different emotions arise, and it seems so easy to fall from balance and clarity and openness into these old habits of judgment and resentments and hindrance. And, you know, we tell ourselves in those moments, this shouldn't be happening. You know, I've made so much effort, it shouldn't be happening. Sometimes we say, I've dealt with dullness. Why should I have to do it again? You know, or I've dealt with restlessness. Why should I have to do it again? It seems so unfair. So we find ourselves trying to tie ourselves to the ox. And the ox feels so unpredictable. And I think in those moments we believe or think that the ox wants to run from us. The truth is, part of us really wants to run from the ox. Part of us really wants to run from that which is authentic. Because we see often we are revealed to ourselves in those moments of openness and clarity. And sometimes we shy away from the insights that come. You know, we see that all things really do change. We start to really know this. It does have a few implications, by the way. We see the suffering of grasping hold of the pleasant or the unpleasant. We see the falseness of hiding in images and conclusions. And on a moment-to-moment level, we start to see more and more clearly what leads to confusion and suffering and what leads to peace and ease. It all has implications. Now, we would think we would welcome that seeing. We would think we would delight in those insights and think, that's really good news. Then... There's a second layer where we start to look at the implications of insight. And they're not always comfortable. And we start asking ourselves, you know, do we really have to change our lives? Do we really have to let go of something in the light of what we're understanding to be true? You know, do we really have to forgive that person we dislike? Do we really have to let go of all those places that we sort of, you know, are so attached? Do we really have to stop avoiding those things we don't like? Sometimes, in fact, we're really relieved when the ox goes to hide in the wilderness. You know, because how else could we go out for that second plate of food, you know, without having that, hearing that little voice that says, you've actually really had enough and this is greed? You know, <clears throat> You know, how else, unless the ox is hiding in the wilderness, could we really indulge in that good session of resentment, you know, or that favorite fantasy? Other times, this is the other kind of 
<coughs> peril at this point in the journey is that we've caught the ox, kind of, and we feel it's enough. You know, it's time to go home. You know, it's time. We, we, we've had enough. We've enri- arrived. Now I can retire. You know, enough calmness. I can retire now. Enough, enough insight. I can retire now. But our relationship, the truth is, our relationship to the ox is still tenuous, and there's a way to go. The fifth picture is called Gently in the Ox, and it says, In patient training, the ox got used to the herder and is now truly gentle. Should she walk right now into the dust, she no longer gets dirty. Long and painted patient gently. Coming or going requires no effort. The ox quietly carries the herdsman. The calmness and the confidence is stronger. The clarity is more effortless. There is an intimacy and a friendship with the ox that has been forged. It's often a place, a season in practice, where we begin to feel more joy, where there's a very profound interest in understanding, in freedom. It's a place, actually, where our practice does become often quite wonderful. The struggles can become less, but more, I think, we begin to fall in love with awareness and we begin to fall out of love with delusion. It's a season in our practice where a lot of preferences fall away, good, bad, high, low, pleasant, unpleasant, acceptable, unacceptable. These distinctions start to become much more meaningless because our home is not in all of the events of the mind. Our home is truly in the seeing. Our home is truly in the awareness. All, all of the events, they simply appear, and we begin to really see the delight of eventlessness. Awareness has no preferences, no for and against. Everything is welcome. It's like open house. In that season of our practice where our preferences begin to break down, so does the solidity of any sense of a center. Because that center is an event too. And we're not so interested in the events, not defined by the events. No longer so identified with the contents, with the events. No longer so identified with I am. The sixth picture is called Returning Home on the Ox. The poem says, Riding free as air, he joyously comes home through evening mist in wide straw hat and cape. Wherever she may go, she creates a fresh breeze while in her heart profound tranquility prevails. It's in a different, another season of the practice of struggle is disappearing. Ideas of gain and loss are disappearing. 
It is when the herdswoman, the herdsman, has such unwavering trust in the ox, doesn't even need to look where the ox is going. In fact, in this picture, the herdsman or the herdswoman is facing backwards, riding backwards, playing a flute. And the herdswoman, the herdsman, is no longer in charge. It is rather the ox, the awareness is simply carrying her, carrying him. Resting, being born within the stillness. And it's a season in practice where both the fires of wanting and the fear of being nothing have really fallen away. It's a season of beginning to embody in our lives all that which we understand to be true and authentic. And there's a naturalness to both wisdom and awareness In fact, we are rooted in that wisdom and awareness. And it's a season, sometimes described as a season of wise choicelessness. Whether our acts, our speech, our choices, our thoughts are guided by a natural understanding and compassion. But still, still there is a subtle sense of illusion at play. Because the herdsman, the herdswoman, feels to be riding on the back of the ox, and the ox still feels to be somewhat a little bit separate. The seventh picture is called Ox Forgotten, or Ox Disappeared. When there's no longer two, all sense of two has disappeared. And the poem says, The herdswoman has come home on the back of the ox, Now the ox is forgotten, and he is at ease. Now the herdswoman has returned home. Home is everywhere. When both things and self are wholly forgotten, peace reigns all day long. There's a sense of the ox, you know, the journey. Only on the back of the ox was the herdswoman, herdsman able to come home. But now they've returned Home is everywhere. It's like the ox has been absorbed into the heart, into the consciousness of the herdsman, the herdswoman. What has disappeared is any sense of going somewhere. No self, no other. The ox has been a symbol of freedom and truth in the midst of confusion and delusion and separation. The ox has provided an invitation, a direction, a path. But now home has been reached. Awareness, compassion, understanding are the natural activities, whether we walk or breathe or sit or work. All things are a celebration of that authenticity. At home in all things. Nowhere to go and nowhere to return to. The eighth picture is called Both Ox and Self Forgotten. And this picture is a picture, it's it's just a circle that is holding empty space. And the commentary says, Space shattered at one blow, and holy and worldly both vanished. In the untreadable, the path has come to an end. The bright moon over the temple and the sound of the wind in the tree. 
All rivers returning their waters flow back again to the sea. It's a symbol of awakening, no longer two or one. This circle is often a symbol of emptiness that holds all things. It's a symbol of mystery found in all spiritual traditions. Sometimes in this tradition, that liberation is portrayed. You know, in the early days of this tradition, there were no Buddha statues. Liberation was often shown in a picture of an empty hut or two footprints in the sand or a seat, unoccupied seat beneath a tree. And yet this circle is also a symbol of the pervasiveness of that freedom, that everything is awakened. The ninth picture is called Returning to the Source. And the poem says, or the commentary says, Return to the origin, back to the source. All is completed. Inside his hermitage, she has no need to look out. Boundless the river runs as it runs. Red bloom the flowers, just as they bloom. In this picture, it's just a picture of mountains and pine trees and clouds and rain. It's a picture that shows the indivisible nature of form and emptiness. That emptiness is not a negative state. It is a manifestation of all things in their uniqueness, all things that are born and created. That all things that appear are a celebration both of their uniqueness and of their emptiness, arising and passing according to their own rhythm. And we too are a part of that landscape. We too ebb and flow, appear and pass and yet abide in that which cannot be named, like a wave that arises and passes on the, surf of a, on the surface of an ocean can never describe its depth. The tenth picture is called Entering the Marketplace with Bliss-Bestowing Hand. And the commentary says, bare-chested and barefooted, she enters the market, face streaked with dust and head covered with ashes. But a mighty laugh spreads from cheek to cheek. Without troubling himself to work miracles, suddenly dead trees break into bloom. This picture, the last in the series, it's a picture of celebration. It's a picture that teaches us that liberation does not mean that we die or disappear. In some ways, we do, and in other ways, obviously not. It's a picture of the a depth of natural compassion and joy in which the whole world is befriended and held. Not a manner, not living in a manner of trying to make anything happen, but naturally present in fearlessness and wisdom. In this picture, the herdsman, the herdswoman, looks so unconventional, you know, with this hair streaked with ashes, you know, this great 
smile. It's a picture of wisdom and compassion in which everything begins to bloom. Now, all these pictures describe a journey of coming home. They describe the different seasons of a spiritual journey. They describe the shadows and the valleys and the peaks. And it's not that our journeys are all the same. It's not that we all have these different seasons in some predictable way. It's not an encouragement to strive to be where we are not. But the enduring theme of these pictures is this invitation to awakening, this invitation to find that really genuine home in an authentic wisdom and compassion, which when discovered we know has never really, it is not something new. It is not like meeting a stranger, but like meeting an old friend. The enduring theme of these pictures is the fine balance of holding this aspiration to understand awakening, understand freedom, and yet always to apply that wise effort to be just where we are, with receptivity and balance and patience, with wisdom. Remembering no matter how hidden or how wild the ox seems to be, it is within us, and that our practice, truly our practice, is to discover it. We could take just a couple of moments quietly together. 